Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada. So you want an example of who you don't want to live like? Well, Dr. Newfeld shares an important message with us today from his series in Daniel entitled Lessons from the Damned. So open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, verses 7 to 31, as we continue our series, Singing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land. I wonder if you'll find the title of today's broadcast to be offensive. In truth, I don't mean to offend. But I'm speaking about a man when we encounter him in the Bible, find him to be a man who is past the point of no return, at the moment of his death, even while he doesn't know it. His name is Belshazzar. He's the king of Babylon. On the day in question, he saw a supernatural hand appear writing on the wall of his palace. He was having what amounts to a drunken orgy while mocking the God of Israel. He was drinking from the sacred vessels from the destroyed temple in Jerusalem. And in that moment, that moment when the hand appeared and wrote something on his wall, there was nothing that could be done to save him. His fate was sealed. The writing was on the wall. It was from this chapter in the Bible that we actually have the English saying, and I notice that the second last verse in Daniel 5 states that this was the night that Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. The minute the hand wrote, he became a damned man. We're going to learn some lessons from this man destined for condemnation. You see, God's patience with this brash and egotistical king had run out. But let me not get ahead of myself. The reason why the Bible describes this story is threefold. First, the Bible makes it clear that whether we're living in Jerusalem or Babylon or anywhere in between, it's living where God reigns. If we think we reign, well, we're living in an illusion. Don't ever forget. And second, God is not mocked. He is gracious. He is patient. But there is a time when his patience ends. Beware. Third, we should learn from the life of this man. The chief lesson is rather simple. Don't ever become like him. For the truth in the matter is that there are many among the damned who, who once lived a lifestyle that's admired by many today. They were sought out and, and they lived in a way that many a person dreams about. What a fatal mistake to want what they once had. Should we not learn from the damned so that our outcome will not be like theirs? So please don't be offended with my title, Lessons from the Damned. I mean it to offer hope to those who might either knowingly or unknowingly pursue the same fate. So listen up. This broadcast might be the most important one you'll ever hear. And God in his wisdom and his patience and his sovereignty has you listening today. Lessons from the life of the damned. Daniel 5 begins with the account of Belshazzar, a young man who reigned in Babylon only when his father the king was out of the city on a military campaign. But he was counting on being the next king, and his assurance about a certain future leads to his attitude. Then in the middle of his feast, in which he mocked the God of Israel, a hand appeared on the wall, writing something he did not understand. In response, he became absolutely terrified, so alarmed that his knees knocked together. We pick up the account from Daniel 5:7, reading through to verse 12. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. 
The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. You know, isn't it interesting how quickly the solution to the writing on the wall is found? Just find someone who will read the writing. A great prize is offered. See, I have no doubt that Belshazzar must have thought that if he could only find out what this means, he will also find a solution. But to his amazement, none of his advisors know. Now, as we read Daniel 5, we might assume that this writing is in a foreign language, but as a matter of fact, it's not. The writing in the wall was in Aramaic. This was a language that they spoke, but no one could translate it. So why is that? You know, a possible solution is that the words were simply three different weights for Babylonian money. There were a number of possible renderings, but one possible reading is a mina, a mina, a shekel, and half a shekel. Kind of like saying to a Canadian, a toonie, a toonie, a loonie, and a quarter. I mean, what does that mean? Well, there's an uproar. There's a discussion. Why would this be on the wall? Is this good news or bad news? And some say one thing and the others say another thing, but it becomes abundantly clear that nobody knows. Suddenly the queen comes in. We're told that she was not a part of the banquet, and really that's surprising. Perhaps she and Belshazzar are not on speaking terms, for you're going to remember that she's undoubtedly the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. She would have remembered Daniel as a young girl and how he changed the life of her father. She would have remembered how he had explained dreams to her father and how her father, a man much greater than Belshazzar, had been brought to repentance. Perhaps she herself had become a believer, but she comes into the party and looks at all the advisors, their contradictory advice, and introduces some sanity into the madness. She lets them go to the man of God. He will know the answer to the riddle. Let's continue to read. I'm reading verses 13 all the way to 24. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. Now I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you could read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. 
He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, and you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. There's an interesting contrast between Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5. You know, in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar received mercy from God in his arrogance. But in Daniel 5, Belshazzar is instantly condemned. For him, the writing's on the wall. In this passage, we can see the difference. Indeed, it should be a lesson for all of us. See, the first lesson is that in many ways, Nebuchadnezzar did not know better. He didn't have what Belshazzar had, the lessons from history, or the history of a man from God who told him about the Most High. Belshazzar knew about the Most High. And second, Nebuchadnezzar built up Babylon, and Belshazzar, well, he merely inherited it, and for that matter, was looking forward to inheriting it because he didn't have it yet. For Nebuchadnezzar is called his father, but in truth, Nebuchadnezzar was his grandfather. Indeed, his father was the real king, and Belshazzar was only a wannabe. Nebuchadnezzar had built up Babylon, and Belshazzar had inherited Babylon. There's a world of difference between the two. One worked, and the other, well, he merely had an attitude of entitlement and couldn't even imagine that his life could be different than what it presently was. And what we will see as we consider him is an attitude that formed in his heart that made him a man who simply would not escape his own damnation. Are you willing to acknowledge that everything you have in this life at this moment, every blessing that you received comes from God? Well, that's just one of the questions Dr. Neufeld asks when we continue. So stay tuned. You know, India is a country with a great Christian legacy, first exposed to the gospel by the Apostle Thomas. And it continues to be a nation of people thirsting to hear the truth of God's Word. The ministry of Back to the Bible India has existed for over 50 years, and now Back to the Bible Canada has been given the opportunity to partner in India to offer the expositional Bible teaching of Dr. Neufeld in English, Telugu and Hindi, daily Bible teaching that we believe can have a profound impact for believers and those searching for truth. So would you join us in making this opportunity a reality? Our annual budget for partnering in this way is $80,000, and this will be the annual budget to sustain this ministry. So consider offering a one-time gift for this purpose, or join us as a monthly partner with India as your focus. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. Your gift will accomplish so much. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. (music) 
I want you to notice the condescending attitude that this young Belshazzar has to the aged Daniel. Look at verse 13. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father brought from Judah. Is it really possible that Belshazzar does not know who Daniel is? He must have known. How could he not know the chief advisor of Nebuchadnezzar and the ex-prime minister of the country? I mean, notice also that Belshazzar calls him one of the exiles rather than acknowledging his accomplishments in Babylon. It was John Kelvin who wrote, The king does not acknowledge his negligence in calling Daniel, but rather interrogates Daniel without shame and interrogates him as if he were a prisoner. In fact, reading the account carefully reveals how Belshazzar treats Daniel with contempt, something even the great Nebuchadnezzar would never have done. And that's the moniker of the damned. The damned are ready to brush others aside with, without acknowledging what role they have been called to play by God. They're self-focused. Notice how Daniel responds to him. He brushes aside the insult, but reminds the grandson of the greatness of his grandfather and not of himself. But if God can humble a man who is as great as your grandfather, on what basis is this arrogance of yours? How we respond to what God gives us is the most important thing about us. We can respond in humility or in arrogance. Look again at verse 21. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled until he acknowledged that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. See, that's the key. If you or I accomplish anything in our lives, we should acknowledge that God sets anyone into whatever position he desires for his purpose. Humility does not mean that we have an inferiority complex. Rather, it means that we come to terms with the fact that anything we accomplish comes as a result of the gracious gift from God. And when you and I come to terms with the fact that God has gifted us in the way that he chooses, we come to terms with the fact that we are what God has allowed us to become. So I ask you, are you willing to acknowledge that everything you have in life at this moment, every blessing that you have received, comes from God? Do you openly acknowledge that you owe to God an infinite debt of gratitude? Do you take time to thank God every day for everything from the clothes on your back to the food that you eat and the health that you enjoy, your ability to work, to think, to have friends, and to be joyful and to accomplish? Are you humble before him or are you arrogant? See, we can respond to our circumstances by honoring God or honoring ourselves. See, in verse 23, Daniel tells Belshazzar, rather than humbling himself, he's lifted up himself against the Lord of heaven and that he has praised the gods of silver and of gold and and so forth. An idol, a god of wood and stone, is a god that human hands have made. An idol is the belief that human beings can make God into whatever kind of being that suits their fancy. See, by making an idol, then worshiping it, we're in fact worshiping ourselves, for we have made the idols that we worship, and we then worship the work of our own hands. And Belshazzar was unconcerned for the army outside his door because he had thick walls and he had lots of food and he had gods of his own making. His party was a way of honoring himself. You and I can do the same thing. When we worship our own ideas more than the word of God, when we make our opinions greater than what God has given us in his scripture, we are among the company in danger of being damned. Let's see how the passage ends. Daniel 5, 25 to 31. 
And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parzin. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let me see if I can explain what was on the wall. The first word we are told is the word mene. You know, because in that day one would write words without vowels, it was always possible to misinterpret a word. The word on the wall could be translated as mina, which means about 50 shekels or tekels. But a mina was also the official standard of weights in Babylon. And Daniel translates the first word not according to money, but according to weight. Mene means numbered, counted out, measured. He means to say that the days of Belshazzar's reign have been counted out to the very last one, and as of that evening, they had come to an end. Belshazzar would not see the morning sun, for he had just lived the very last day that God had counted out for him. And here's the application. God has numbered all of our days. I want you to understand how significant that is. God has counted out the days, the hours, and the minutes of your life. You'll not live one second beyond your allotted time. Only God knows what they are, and when the writing is on the wall, well, you're out. You'll not see the morning sunrise. You'll not experience another spring or summer or fall or winter. There'll be no time to make things right. Each single man and woman or child has days counted by God. Your good health may or may not be an indicator of how long you have. God has millions of ways to take human beings out of this world, and he does not need to resort to a miracle. Let's now look to the second word. The word is tekel, very much like the Jewish word for shekel. It's another piece of money, and just like in the former case, this piece of money was also weighed out, and its weight was slightly over 11 grams. Daniel translates the word simply as weighed. He tells Belshazzar that God has weighed you on the scales and found you short by 11 grams. You're rejected. You're a lightweight. Here's a lesson for us. God weighs all our actions on his scales, not ours. Nothing that we have ever done escapes his notice. All of us have been weighed by God. All of us have fallen short. The Bible says that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. If you're counting on being good enough for God, you need to hear his judgment, which he has given in advance. He tells us that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now let's take a look at that third word, Perez. It means half a tekel. Daniel takes it to mean to divide. Your kingdom has been divided, he says. You're ruined. In fact, even as he was speaking, the Medes and the Persians were already completely in control of the city. Soon they would enter the banquet hall, and Belshazzar would lie dead. You know, I began by giving a title to this address. It's entitled, Lessons from the Damned. And indeed, one lesson might be that we must never wait until the writing is on the wall. Perhaps you're giving credit to yourself for what you have accomplished. Perhaps you've become arrogant. Perhaps you look down on those 
who are poorer than you are, or not as gifted as you are, or have not accomplished what you have accomplished. You're smug. You have no time for idiots. Your conversation is regularly about diminishing someone else, and you have a thousand words to denigrate them. Now, if that's you, here's the lesson we might learn from one damned human being by the name of Belshazzar. We must never wait until the writing is on the wall. See, if you claim to know Christ today, but you have become arrogant and you honor yourself, the time to get it straight is today. If you have never met Christ, the time for the introduction to the Lord of glory is today. I'm not God. I can't tell you how many of your number days are left to you even as you hear my voice. For some of you, there are many days ahead. And for some, the number is almost out. You don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that all of us are found wanting on God's scales, and our only hope is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who paid the debt for us so that we might find forgiveness and mercy before him. Humble yourself before him, repent of your sins, and trust in Christ. The most difficult thing that Christ demands of you is that you confess of your sins and acknowledge that you've accomplished nothing but that which his grace has given you in advance. So now is the time of salvation, and now is the time to confess your sins. Do it today, and you will have learned not to join the company of men and women like Belshazzar, but rather trust your life into the hands of Jesus, who was raised from the dead on your account. And know this, that if you trust in him, your future will be counted with him as well. May the Lord give you grace to surrender to Christ today. John, we're all left wanting, but there's hope. Can you share with us exactly what and how that hope might be found? Yeah, I want to say to anyone who says, well, maybe I'm doomed already. Are you alive today? Are you hearing my voice today? Did you hear the message of the cross today? Well, that's given as an act of grace. So Jesus holds out his hand and says, whoever will may come. You know, to all that confess Christ, he gives the power to become the sons of God. So believe his promise. He offers life to all who come to him. All you need to do is begin with a prayer to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know that Christ died for me, and I surrender my life into his hands and take your hand and follow you. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Just a reminder that this month we're issuing our August-September edition of Truth and Life magazine. This issue will focus on culture. The shifting sands of culture always have direct implications for God's people and for the church at large. So how do we in a society which increasingly embraces values and lifestyles contrary to those reflected in Scripture, how do we live out our Christian experience? And how do we continue to share the truth of God's Word to those who would seem to be opposed? All of this and much more in this issue of Truth and Life magazine. So make sure to ask for your free subscription to Truth and Life magazine today. So to receive your Truth and Life or to make a donation to the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
That's 1-800-663-2425 or sign up online at backtothebible.ca.